my dad used to read me bedtime stories. Now, when you think of bedtime stories, you think of Dr. Seuss and little board books. And the bedtime story that I remember when I was little was my dad read me The Hobbit, picture book form. It was big pictures, the one ring and everything. If he had known that I was going to grow up to be a nerd, he might have made a different choice. My bookshelf had Corduroy and Curious George and the Hardy Boys. Choose your own adventure books. I used to love story time. I loved reading. I loved imagining. And I never really questioned what was in the books or the story that I was being told. Sure, I was reading stories that caused you to question because it was mostly mystery books or choose your own adventures. But the story itself, I didn't really question. Now with my son, we do story time. And we read Encyclopedia Brown and we've read some other things. And lately he really likes the Bible app. He wants to do Bible stories. Which, as a preacher dad, I'm like, we're on board. And then we read a story... And we ended up talking about one of the details of the story that as an adult, when I've heard it, I've never questioned. But he didn't seem to accept it. And when I realized the details, when I kind of put all of the pieces of what was happening together in my head, I thought, he's actually kind of brilliant right now. I've never thought about this story this way. And then I thought about, our lives as adults, as parents, as Christians, and thought, man, we really don't know everything. We really don't understand everything the way we think we do. And if we just changed our perspective, or more accurately, allowed God to change our perspective, maybe we could do more. Maybe we could live better lives. Maybe we could be free from the burdens that we carry because we're looking at it differently. The story is found in Mark 5. It's the story of the healing of Jairus's daughter. That was the Bible bedtime story. I'm going to read it. We're going to do some context. We're going to talk about this as adults, but the real core of this message comes from the thought process of my son. And I think there may be no more appropriate way to have a single-parent preacher podcast than to have an episode inspired by the child. So welcome to the single-parent preacher. My name is Alex. This message inspired by Eli. Now let's get into the text. Mark 5, starting at verse 21. This is right after he casts out legion. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. That's some fun phrasing right there, thronged about him. So in these few verses, we establish some really important details there. Jesus had just just finished another cross-sea trip. 
after being asked to leave from casting out the Legion of Demons, and people are already there, and a ruler of the synagogue shows up. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar or a preacher or anything to know Jesus did not have a good relationship with religious leaders. Rulers of the synagogue interactions that go well in the Bible are very few. This Jairus here, this ruler goes up to Jesus, drops to his knees at Jesus' feet, and says, My daughter is about to die, but you can heal her. That's an unusual statement from one of the religious leaders at the time. And Jesus just goes with him. No question, no argument. We've seen other we've seen other times where Jesus has said, Go, your daughter is well. Oh, you a little faith, why did you doubt? There are these other interactions that happen, and Jesus just goes. What would it take for us to humble ourselves like Jairus does? Jairus was in a position to be criticized for dropping to his knees in front of this new teacher who's seemingly going against the laws. Now, he's not a Pharisee. He's not a Sadducee. Those are the religious leaders that Jesus really had the problems with. Those are the ones who put him up for death. But we don't see a lot of rulers of the synagogue sort of interactions either. And he just goes with him. He humbles himself in front of Jesus, and Jesus goes with him. You know, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Well, this is the humble right here. And then we have the woman with the issue of blood. We're not going to talk about that that part of this passage today. So we pick back up in verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, I'm guessing on the pronunciation, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So there's a lot that goes on here. We start with people who are coming from the house to report that his daughter's dead. And basically go, what do you need Jesus for now she's dead? Why bother the teacher any further? So there's an implication here that there's already a faith going on. As if Jairus falling at his knees in front of Jesus wasn't enough. This is a household thing. Because now these people are coming and proclaiming sort of the same thing. And we have the first interaction that we have written of Jesus interacting here where he says, do not fear, only believe. It's really easy to be consumed with fear. I talk about this a lot. Because I really believe that fear is the thing that holds us back the most 
from God. There's like two things I think, and I, I, I per this is just personal for me. I think that fear and pride are at the core of almost everything that holds us back from God. Whatever the acute symptomatic issue is, if you bring it all the way back to its core, you're talking about fear or you're talking about pride or you're talking about both because there is also the fear of wounded pride and that's how you mix the two and make for a lovely cocktail of defensiveness. I forget who said this to me a long time ago, but I know this is a, a pretty common phrase. There's two ways to be humble. You either choose humility or you get humbled. Well, we usually spend a lot more time getting humbled than we do being humble. And after whatever you've been through, it's easy to be defensive. It's easy to be afraid. Maybe you're afraid to love again. Maybe you're afraid that you're not good enough. Or maybe you've gone the other way. Maybe whatever you've gone through has caused you to build up so much pride that you feel like, no, I am good enough and no one is ever going to tell me that I'm doing anything wrong again. And you can't accept criticism anymore because you're heart was so broken. Maybe you're not afraid to love again, but maybe you've reached a point of denial where you think you're so good. How could this ever happen to me? I am so amazing. But now it's happened, and now you're like, why doesn't anybody else see how amazing I am? That's pride. None of that works. None of that works with how God works. And just in this passage, we see Jairus humble himself. He's a man of power, of influence, humbles himself at Jesus' feet. It's the first thing he does. And then when this news comes in that his daughter is dead, the first thing Jesus tells him is, don't be afraid. Do not fear. Just believe. In this one story, we see the power of humility and faith. And we only need to compare this against the way the Pharisees and the Sadducees approached him, where they would ask him these trap questions, these insincere questions, and how he responded to their pride and their fear. Scripture also says perfect love casts out fear. It's not a thing that we have to carry. It's not a thing God wants us to carry. Fear is a powerful, powerful weapon the enemy uses to hold us down. Pride is a powerful, powerful weapon that the enemy uses to hold us down. We don't have to be held down by these things ever again if we would humble ourselves at Jesus' feet and not fear, but believe. And God will make you confront your fears. Jairus's fear at the very beginning of this, the thing he asked Jesus for was to heal his daughter so she wouldn't die. Then people come and they say she's dead. It's 
the realization of the biggest fear. It's the realization of the reason he went to Jesus. And Jesus says, do not fear. Becoming a single parent can be the realization of the biggest fear that you might have or that you might have had. You know, hopefully nobody gets married. Just being afraid that you're eventually going to get divorced because it means you're already kind of not in the right headspace for that. Or nobody gets married thinking that your significant other is going to pass away. You don't have a child with another person thinking the other person's going to not be there. Not on purpose. There's a lot of fear that comes up in these situations. And it's easy to wake up every morning being afraid, questioning, am I doing the right thing? Maybe it's even more basic than that. Can we afford groceries? Can I afford childcare this week? Don't fear. Just believe. It doesn't mean don't work. It doesn't mean don't do anything. Fear isn't going to get you anywhere. Belief will. So let's see how the story goes. Jesus stops everyone except for Peter, James, and John. And he gets to the house and people are crying. Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. So he kicks them all out. God will not be mocked. But the people who believed, the father and the mother, they got to stay. Peter, James, and John, they got to stay. Everybody who laughed, out. It's sort of like the story of Gideon, where God's saying that he has too many soldiers. And Gideon's like, okay, how do I farm out? the people who don't who aren't going to be part of this and the first time is guys just like ask people if they want to go home and a bunch of people leave and then they go to a river and god says anybody who drinks like a dog who dips their tongue in send them home but people who scoop the water into their mouth they're your soldiers this is kind of that you know, the people who believed didn't laugh. So he kicks them all out. Taking by their hand, he says, little girl, get up and walk. And she gets up and walks. And he says to feed her. Now, this is the part where my son has inspired this message. Because every time I've heard this story as an adult, or even as a kid, I didn't go to church till I was a teenager. But every time I've heard this story, the daughter's dead. Right? Like, the daughter is sick. The people come from the house to say that she's dead. The people are all crying around the daughter, saying that she's dead. Everybody is saying that she's dead, except Jesus, who says she's sleeping. And while we read this story, my son goes, why is everybody crying? And I went, his daughter's dead. And he went, she's not dead, she's sleeping. Now, I'm aware that in the passage, this is what Jesus says, but I had never heard anybody just flatly say that. Every preacher, every sermon, every devotion, any time I've ever heard this story, it sort of flatly accepted that the daughter is dead and Jesus brings her back to life. My son was not having that. He would not hear that part of the story. He accepted that she was sick. Absolutely, like, she was sick. He's like, okay, got it. But she's sleeping. 
I thought about this. And I asked him, I said, why do you say she's sleeping? And his response was, because she's sleeping. I don't know if this is what he meant. But I was so caught by this idea that he just took what Jesus said. He accepted that she was sick. But people came to say she was dead. And when they got to the house, all the people were crying that she's dead. Jesus said she was sleeping. And for my son, that was enough. It wasn't about the reports of all of the people. It was about what Jesus said. Jesus said she was sleeping. What if that's how we lived our lives? Instead of believing all of the reports around us, and I don't know how much of the news you watch or read, there's a lot of fear out there. There's a lot of pride out there. What if instead of believing the report of everyone else that tends to feed into our biggest fears or fluffs up our already inflated pride, if we just listened and accepted what Jesus told us, what would happen? What would we do? What would our lives look like? I don't have an answer to that question. I would bet we'd probably have a lot more moments in our lives that are like this little girl getting up and walking when everybody thought she was dead. This is one of those moments I wish this was sort of like a uh, a reality show. Because remember, all of the people who laughed got kicked out of the house. What happened when the little girl walked out? I mean, the end of this passage says he strictly charged them that no one should know this. People are going to see the girl walking around. It, it's going to happen. What did they do? Because those people thought they understood what happened. She was sick. She's dead. Gone. Jesus comes. She's sleeping. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Sleeping. <laughs> Get out. What? Get out. So they leave. And the little girl walks out. Minds blown. Right? All that pride and understanding what they thought had really happened. What they thought was possible. Gone. Here she is. See, we don't understand everything. We can't. But it's really hard to accept. It takes humility to accept that. It takes faith to accept that. And as somebody who likes to understand everything, getting past the fear that because there are things that I don't know, that something will happen to me that I can't anticipate, that I can't prepare for, it's hard. Getting past the pride that because there's things that I don't know, there are things that will happen. Things I won't be able to explain. Things that will surprise me. It's hard. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it's probably hard for you to. But it's okay to not understand everything. You're not supposed to. God knows everything. God understands everything. And whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're afraid of, whatever you're, whatever you're carrying pride about, God has a better way. One of the first things you have to do is accept that you don't know everything. And if you're willing to change your perspective, if you're willing to look at it a different way, if you're willing to accept what Jesus says, and skip the reports of the people who are trying to speak fear into your life. 
you'll be able to do things that nobody will expect. God will do things with you that nobody will expect was even possible. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, as hard as it is, humility. We thank you for new perspectives. We thank you that you still use us, that you see us for what and who we really are, and that to you, we are people who can be loved and forgiven and be used in ways that we would never have thought. Please help us to have the humility and the faith to do the things that you have for us to do, and to show our kids how much stronger and better you make us. Please don't let anything stand in the way of that. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can find me on Twitter at SPPreacherPod. You can email me at thesingleparentpreacher at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, for your time, your patience. I hope that these messages are helpful, that they're encouraging, and sometimes maybe poke at the things that you're struggling with so that we don't just sit around and we do something about them. But until next time, have humility and have faith and listen to the words of Jesus.